everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. I had the supreme pleasure of working with my guest today during an amazing season in Club Med Columbus Isle in 1999-2000, which turned out to be her last season. Her first season, however, was in Club Med St. Lucia in 1992-1993 as a PT Club Geo. Before Club Med, she was working as a nanny in Germany. She applied from there and then flew to Montreal for her interview, and one of the interviewers was none other than Kevin Pat himself. We will talk about that and so much more, so please help me welcome from London, Ontario, now living in France, we'll ask how that happened. Let's give it up for Heather Corey. Hey, Heather, how are you? Hey, good morning. Great. How are you? Not good. Nice to talk to you after, what, 23 years? Something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. We, we spent Y2K together, didn't we, in Columbus, right? 2000, like January 2000? Were you there in January, right? Yes, I was. And we were waiting for the end of the world. And in fact, it was... Yes, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because you were at the front li- <laughs> you were at the front lines, so to speak, because you were at reception. So exactly. I am curious to see how it was from your end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, 1992. Three or 1992, 93 to 2000, okay, in Club Med, but um, I'm interested if you could take me back, like, I know, we know you're working as a nanny in Germany, but did you hear about Club Med before that? Like, did you see an ad somewhere growing up? I actually, I was in university and uh, I went to Montreal to visit a friend who was going to McGill and we went to the cinema and one of the ads before the film was for Club Med. And it was, uh, I believe it was a woman lying on a, a floaty in the middle of a pool. And it turned out to be not the pool, but the Caribbean. And uh, I think it, I can't remember what the, uh, the logo was at that point, but it, it, it got me. I just said, I, I want to go there. Not exactly okay. understanding where there was. And then I booked okay. a trip to Guadeloupe Caravelle. Okay, excuse me. I have two things to say about this. Number okay. one, uh, when you said McGill, I'm supposed to boo because I work at Concordia University. Oh, so sorry. No, oh no, that's fine. That's fine. I'm just. I think we're required to do it. And second, are you saying you saw, uh, you saw a movie in a movie theme? Yes. And there was a Clement ad. I've never, I've never seen that ever. Are you, are yeah. you serious? Okay. Yeah, I'm really serious. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I never. And I was going to movies a lot in Montreal, but yeah. Okay. But uh, that's that's pretty cool. And uh, okay, so and then I guess, like everyone, you thought, oh, that looks cool, but you didn't, uh, didn't, you didn't do anything from there, right? You didn't apply. Actually, when I was in La Caravelle, I I ended up hanging out with the GOs because the the GMs were older than me, and they actually offered me a position as a hostess to stay on and and work in the, at the you know at the front of the restaurants, and I couldn't because I had to get back to. To university, but I kept it in my mind that perhaps one day that would be something that would be really interesting to do. What were you studying in university? I was studying English literature. Oh, like me currently. Wow. Good thing yes. for you. You got your degree first. You did it the right way. Not like the idiot that I am doing it now. Okay. So bravo <laughs> to you. And secondly, do you recall who the chief of village was? I don't. Okay. I'm really sorry. Did you ever run into any of those geos later on? But uh, I, I didn't. It was pre-internet, pre-everything. So no, we didn't keep in touch. It was a, a really fast week, but great memories. Okay. So how do you um, get a job in Germany? Uh, it was through a friend here in London, Ontario. And she, I just wanted to have an experience of living in Europe for a year. And she knew an organization that sent people to Europe to nanny for a year with Canadian families. And uh, she got me in touch with the organization and off I went to 
close to Frankfurt, Germany, to work for Canadian Family as a nanny. Well, it's pretty interesting. Here you are from Ontario. You're working in Germany. You apply to Club Med from <laughs> Germany, have to fly to Montreal. I don't think many, too many geos did it that way, right? Um, I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> really? Okay. And uh, did, you, did they call you right away for an interview? Uh, they, I think I received snail mail first, and then uh, we organized the, the interview date and time. And uh, I took a train to Montreal and then had the, the interview. Once the letter arrived, then it was pretty fast to get organized. Kevin, that was there because I recall Geo's talking. There, there must have been a lot of people with, with you, along with you, right, when you were applying? It was huge. There must have been 30 people in the interview. Okay. Uh, I guess it was at a hotel, right, in Montreal? I believe it was at a hotel. Yeah, okay. exactly. So what did, do you recall any of that process? Like uh, what they asked you or did they make you do crazy signs? They didn't make us do crazy signs, but they, they had us all come into a big room and we all sat around a big table and they, they explained a little bit about how the, the day would go. And then they wanted to do, a, I guess it was a slideshow presentation at that point. And it seemed a little fishy, but the slide machine broke down and I felt like we were being watched almost to see who would jump up and offer to help out. And yeah, it was really interesting. It seemed like we were already being interviewed without even having to speak or, uh, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> and I guess because you were a nanny, it was uh, your choice to want to work with the kids? It was exactly. Okay. So, and, uh, so they send you uh, how, so how long after the interview did you find out you're going to St. Lucia for your first season? Oh, I think it was really fast, maybe two or three weeks. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. And and uh, do, you, do you call arriving that first day or first week? Like, what do you remember? Uh, I remember first I was in the airport at Toronto and there was a, another girl standing beside me in line to get on the airplane. And uh, turned out she was also going to St. Lucia for Club Med. And it turned out that my father was her grade eight teacher here in London, Ontario. So it was really an odd beginning. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. It was a small world. And uh, then we got the best news ever. I can't remember. We had to stop over in the U.S. And then when we got on the airplane to fly to St. Lucia, they put us on first class. Are you serious? Yes. This was back in, you know, the the old days when it was possible to get an upgrade. But both me and Allison were put in first class. So you had these two young ladies flying in to work for Club Med for their first experience. And they're sitting drinking champagne in first class. This, going to St. Lucia. <laughs> this, happened, this happened to me my first season and I thought, wow, what a cool company. I tell everyone at the airport when I land and I got so many dirty looks because there's geos <laughs> have been working for Club Med seven years and never flew first class. And I thought this was completely normal. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So you had the same experience. Now, doesn't part of you wish you had never flown first class because now you know what you're missing every time you get on a plane? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Regret. Uh, it's regret. <laughs> yes. I almost wish I'd never seen silver salt and pepper shakers, you know? <laughs> yes. And and like me, uh, uh, it looks like you had a, like your first season was fun, but challenging, right? It, it's a lot to take in, right? Like you're given the schedule, you're, you're you, what, you have to wear what uniform, what, what, what's the dress code? Uh, like you said, yeah, it's almost a military schedule, right? Like you, you, you were like me, right? You found it a bit challenging, correct? I found it was really challenging and I think everyone was very nice, but everyone was already so busy. No one had time to really explain what was expected. 
and how it worked. And so I felt a bit lost. And it was, I think the first two weeks, I was doubting my my decision. Like, I, do I belong here? What am I doing here? And the exhaustion after the first week is like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. And finding out the what club med terms mean like village, village, right? You had no idea what that was, right? Oh, it was the whole list, village, village, passage de fouille, all kinds of different terms that I'd never heard before. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot to take in. I was so naive. Like I always saw Matos on the schedule and I thought Matos was a person and that was their abbreviation <laughs> for, for maintenance. I said, what, when am I going to meet Matos? Who is this guy? <laughs> so yeah, I, I can empathize with that one. And of course, then it's the, like you say, you have to find time to do the laundry, write a postcard. Uh, yeah. Homesickness, all that. So do you recall at what point it turned around? Like you started getting into the groove? Um, I met a fantastic woman named Jane from Australia who was the nurse and I think it was the first time I started to get sick because of course in the petite club we got a lot of uh, illnesses from the little ones being dropped off so I had to go to her for some antibiotics because of the flu or a cold or something and right from the first time we met she took me under her wing and uh, that's when I started having fun and understanding a little bit more of what was expected of me where I had to be and to actually embrace it and really enjoy it. Did you have any what I call club med culture shock? Uh, other like, um, were you aware that um, I guess, I guess uh, St. Lucia is not so bad. It's not like there's topless beaches all over the place. But <laughs> that that was one of my you know uh, uncomfortable experiences. So uh, maybe for some people, it's guys and speedos in the restaurant. I mean, or did you make any first season geo blunders? Like, uh, do you have any funny stories from your first season or interesting? Um, I think the biggest culture shock for me being Canadian was in the behind the scenes in the change room before doing the shows, how everyone was just whipping off their clothes and people walk around naked. It's like, whoa, what's this? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was surprising. And uh, yeah, it was, I don't think I had any moments where it was uncomfortable because St. Lucia, the, the main beach, most of the people went to was the windsurfing beach, which was away That's from right. the club. So, so, and we were so busy. I don't really recall being at the beach very often. We didn't have a, too much time off in the good old days. So I don't recall really spending too much time at the beach or having to do too much on the beach. <laughs> and I think every second I had that was free, it was trying to take a little nap. Okay. And now, were you a great dancer before Club Ed? Like, did they throw you in the shows? I was in the shows, but the first season, I really didn't put my hand up because it was a little bit overwhelming. And uh, I think it was really my second and third seasons that I really got started getting involved in doing the shows and and it was fantastic yes so after you completed your first season you wanted to do another one right I I don't know if I was ready to do my my next season I think that I I had some doubts because I wasn't really a, a fantastic geo I was a little bit shy still and I was exhausted you know that exhaustion after working six months straight you get home and you sleep for two weeks. Your parents think they need to maybe take you to the hospital um, because you're actually so fatigued that you can't function. But after I wake up, I woke up from my coma, the fatigue coma. Yeah, you know what? That would be a great idea if I could do it again. So, yeah. So I decided that I want to be a better geo. I wanted to to have more fun. I wanted to really see different places. And uh, so I was sent to Sandpiper just to help out as an 
interim. So I was sent there for a short time and uh, it relit the fire to continue working for Club Med. And then away I went and I, I learned more and more each time. So it was great. Now, since you're from Canada, like me, did the fact that winter was coming factor in your decision at all? It might have. Okay. To be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it might no one, have. No one would blame you. Okay. That's no. why I, I stayed so long. Okay. <laughs> all right. Sandpiper. So yeah. Okay. That, and now you're, you went from not be able to, to do anything outside the village to you, you're able to see a movie. You can go shop. That must have been cool. No. Well, again, we didn't have a lot of free time. Oh, yeah, so, that's true. This is 93 still, right? Okay. Yeah. So it was really, we we worked seven days a week. And when you were off, you were doing all kinds of different activities. Village, village, the the sun dance. You were doing the the apéro games or the uh, the before dinner games or doing, you know, there, there was never a free moment, but I absolutely embraced it and loved it. And was it here that you you met Jane Miller or another season? I met Jane Miller briefly when I was in Sandpiper and then she just kept popping up (laughs) in the different, in the different villages. And, and she was, uh, she was a fantastic person and, and just was so in love with club med and really inspired me to, to do better and to be better. And, uh, and she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And she took care of her, her geos. And how long were you at Sandpiper? It was a short stint, I think maybe maximum two months. Oh, okay. And then, of course, you wanted to do, you were more sure about doing a, another season this time, right? I was more sure. And uh, so they, when I was offered going to, well, I was offered Eleuthera, and I jumped to the chance and uh, arrived and was in the Petit Club. And uh, I think I have just was... Uh, overwhelmed with babies while the babies being really young children and uh so in the middle of that i decided to switch over to the boutique okay pulling a bit of double duty there okay (laughs) a little bit a little bit but it was a great experience as well and it was really different than than being outside all the time and with the kids being in the boutique was a different challenge and uh really interesting also and the season in in Eleuthera, the chief of village was yay. And, um, but since you went to Eleuthera, I have to ask about the pink sand beach because I know so many geos that talk about it that I'm so jealous I never got to see it. So is it as beautiful as they say? Oh, it's, it's fabulous. It was the most beautiful beach I think I've ever seen. It was amazing. It was, it was breathtaking. Honestly, the most beautiful beach I think I've seen in my life. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. And then from Eleuthera, you go to Xtapa. Okay. Uh, you start off as mini club geo here, 94, 95, correct? Exactly. Yes. But then something happened, right? Well, I was working as a mini club geo, so, and loving it. And Wally Ho was the chief of mini club and she was fantastic and so animated and amazing. And she got really sick. So she was sent home and they asked me to replace her. And that's how he became mini club chief is because Wally was sent home. So it was unfortunate for Wally, but it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, no, I never heard that name before. Where was she from? Wally Ho. Uh, she's from Dominican Republic. Okay. And uh, she lives in the U.S. now, actually. Okay. Yeah. And, so and shout here, out to Wally. <laughs> okay. And here you meet uh, Joel DeWitt, correct? As, exactly. Uh, and what was he like? 
he was such a kind, gentle, lovely man uh, who really helped me find my feet as a first time chef de service. And uh, he was always there with his office door open to to have me come in and uh, not really vent, but when I needed to talk through things and uh, when I needed a little bit of a, you know, a, a speech to get me, you know, to keep me going and to motivate me. He was really a, a lovely, lovely man. Great. And when you became chief of a mini club, did you get the uh, coveted chef de service room? I believe I did. Yes, I did. Okay. Nothing like it, huh? Okay. Uh, but in Punta Cana, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't fantastic. It was just another. Okay. It was just another room. Okay, that's right. With, yeah. with 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 tarantulas on the walls. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, having to walk by those tarantulas on a daily basis was really scary. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're like big as birds there. They were. <laughs> but I see. I guess Joel took a shine to you too because you, Joel Dewitt, was also the chief of village in Punta Cana, correct? Yes, time. exactly. So we did Extapa and Punta Cana together. Exactly. Okay. Now, had you spent six months in uh, Punta? I did. I spent six great months in, in Punta, and that was before the renovation. So it was the old style club, which was really nice already. And uh, at nighttime, we used to go to a little restaurant beside the club. We used to have to walk through a field where there was a, a donkey that was tied up that used to try to to attack us every time we walked past it. Those are my great memories of Punta. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Never heard of a rabid donkey before. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but we had some amazing times. And I think that's where the new discotheque is, where the the old uh, restaurant. So I haven't been to the new club, but I hear it's fantastic. And was it, is it that more challenging now being a chief, like having to be uh, responsible for all these jails? Did you like it? I really liked it. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was really great dealing with uh, the different nationalities of the geos and the uh, Dominican geos were fantastic. And, and so much fun and it was it was great they they're hard workers and it was really nice feeling like a, a real team an international team and and we had a lot of fun and of course with the salsa dancing everywhere it was amazing and were you already uh, were you learning french or did you already speak french before you got to clubman well i think like typical students from ontario we we took french in school but I mean, it was really basic French. And uh, I think in, in Club Med, I started, you know, you're surrounded by French, especially, you know, a lot of the chef de service were, were French. And so by the time I became chef de service, uh, chef de mini club, because most of the people spoke French and we spoke French in the meetings and also with the, the guests and with kids, it was actually really easy with kids to speak French because they didn't judge us. So I think I probably progressed the most with the children in the mini club. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you this question now in case in case I forget to ask you because you and I are both like early 90s geos. So I'm just wondering if you have the same experience. So when when before each village you would get, uh, before the internet, you would get tickets delivered by FedEx or Purelater to your home address, correct? Yes. In fact, so when, yeah. you, yeah. when you see a, a Purelater or FedEx trucks driving around your neighborhood now, do you ever like immediately get taken back in time and think, oh, my tickets are here? Because I do this all the time. Does this happen to you? Well, That's in okay. France, it's okay if it doesn't. In France, you know, we don't really have Purelater or or FedEx. We have La Poste. So I unfortunately I don't have that experience, and it makes me sad because it would be really nice to see that 
and have that feeling like, oh, my tickets are coming. Where am I going next? You know. Well, it is. It is, and it isn't. Okay, because that, <laughs> that, that that quick high is followed by a very, very low. Okay. <laughs> okay. You find out it's just the package from Amazon. You know. Oh ooh, yeah. Ooh, a new potato peeler. Okay. <laughs> the Willie Waller 2006. That's right. <laughs> okay. Now, so after Punta, you get sent out of the zone for the first time. You get so. How did you get to Phuket? Like, um, did they offer? Did you ask? They offered. It was really strange. I, I don't remember if we'd given in our our list of, of villages that we'd like to go to, but I just got the news. Okay, your next village is Phuket. Like, wow, where is that? First question, where is that? Because of course we didn't have internet. I couldn't Google it. I couldn't really look. So I, you know, I started asking around and we found out that it was in Thailand. And I was just amazed that. I was going to Thailand. I had never even imagined that you know, I would get out of the zone and, and be so far away from home, but it was really exciting and a big challenge. And I bet you couldn't imagine that jet lag either, right? When you finally arrived? <laughs> no, I couldn't. Yeah. And, and uh, they were kind to me. I didn't have to work the first day, which was great. <laughs> okay. Let, let's go right, right, right for the guts here. Do you have, do you have a monkey story? Because I, I don't want to forget to ask you if you have a monkey story. I know a monkey had... story. We Did didn't they... really have a lot oh. of monkeys. We had snakes, the, oh. the, the jumping snakes in the trees. That was always fun. We also had, uh, uh, we had uh, a haunting, a little bit of a haunting happening in the village. So we had to have the Buddhist monks come in and, uh, and, and cleanse the village. Oh, one, one moment. Did you say somebody saw something? We just had a lot of strange accidents that happened. And it was one after the other after the other. And the, the local staff were a little bit worried and concerned that perhaps the, we had some evil spirits lurking around in the club. And it was taken very seriously. So the, the chief of village uh, called in some Buddhist monks and they sat right beside the main bar in a beautiful little area that overlooked the pool and the road that you have to cross to go to the beach. And they sat there and they, they actually had a string tied to their wrists and they, they sat there for a long time chanting and trying to, to bless the place and to, to make the evil spirits go away. It was quite fascinating. Did it work? I think it did work. It did work. Okay. And, and after that, we had a little, shrine on the club med property so i started going every morning and leaving incense and thanking the spirits and for for allowing me to be in such a beautiful place and for taking care of me and the geo team <laughs> and please have no no babies cry today right no i'm kidding okay. <laughs> that too never, yeah. uh, <laughs> so did you get any uh, first time in asia any culture shock at all it was a huge culture shock it was it was complicated because suddenly I was in charge of a, a group of geos from all over the world. So we had Australians, Japanese geos, from a couple of geos from Taiwan, local geos, so Thai geos, Indonesian geos. So and we had a Brazilian also on the team and a few French geos. So suddenly I had a, an international team. So mini club meetings were really interesting. So I had to make sure that, uh, and I learned quickly that we couldn't run the meetings the same way that I did in the American zone, because usually you just have an, a round table and then you give the instructions of what you'd like to happen. 
And everyone says, okay, great, let's go, let's do it. And in Phuket, it was, there was, of course, the, the language issues. So I had to speak really slowly. And at the beginning, I just said, does everyone understand? And everyone said, yes, yes, of course, no problem. But in fact, in Asian culture, you don't say no. So it was really complicated. So then I learned that I had to ask them to repeat back to me what the instructions were. So it was a little bit challenging. And so it was it was a quick adaptation. I think, well, it took, took me about a month to get used to to that. And uh, also the, the culture difference of how, how you speak to people. And I learned great respect and it was fantastic. It was a really great learning experience. And it was amazing watching the different geos with a different children from the different countries it was really charming really really charming and uh it was it was like i was in a movie in fact and i know it's impossible to learn them all because there's not enough time but did you try to learn one of the asian languages and if so which one we learned well I, we all learned how to say hello in all the different languages oh i forgot the korean geos as well so so we learned how to say hello and how are you in japanese chinese korean thai and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, but of course we didn't have a lot of free time. And these are languages that you can't learn, you can't write. So usually I learn by writing languages out, and uh, we couldn't write the the Asian languages. So it was it was all by ear, and uh, it was it was challenging. And at one point in Phuket, we had uh, a Japanese make makeup company rent out the whole village, so we only had Japanese GMs. And there was no mini club. They didn't bring ch children with them. So they sent me out on excursions with the Japanese ladies from the cosmetic company. And it was complicated. It was a complicated day. <laughs> I'll say, okay, that yes. sounds uh, very challenging. <laughs> yes, but they were very kind and very animated. So we, we managed to have a good time. And who was your chief of village there? It was Lionel Cooper. Where is he from? He's French. Okay. And his right. wife, Kylie, was Australian, and they were amazing. Kylie, Australian? I could have guessed that. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't Kylie Minogue, but she oh, was no. just as fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I better, but I bet you were playing Kylie, Kylie, Kylie Minogue's uh, music there a lot, because I know we were in uh, Bintan. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> so, so I guess you had to spend a year there, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Where did, where did you go on your vacation? I went to Bali. Oh, who doesn't nice. who doesn't go to Bali on vacation? That's right. Well, I did it the other way around. When I was in Bintan, I went to Phuket. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, I uh, I had never got to go to Bali, but yeah, a lot of people I know did. It's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful place. It was fantastic. Yeah, and uh, and that was one of the nice perks of being a geo, was that you could take advantage of going to a club if they had the the space for you, and you could spend the week as a as a GM, but still. You know, you're once a geo, always a geo. So I still took part in all the the crazy signs and uh, of course the the dress code as well. So, but it was a fabulous opportunity to see how other villages worked and to actually enjoy and see what being a GM was like. So I think it made me a better geo. Okay, um, I'm glad you brought up crazy sign because I can't believe I almost forgot to ask you this question <laughs> so my first time in Asia like when you saw like Japanese crazy signs for the first time isn't it like the most shocking hilarious like you know like I was missed like I was dumbfounded I was smiling I couldn't believe the joy the dance moves did you experience any of that with any of the Asian crazy signs 
it's like I, from another world, right? It's not the Madison. It's not hands up. Like I just recall the Japanese crazy signs being so, so funny, like, like so joyous. I don't know if you had that same impression. I did. And it was uh, infectious. And I think the European geos got even more involved than the, than the Japanese geos in, in the dances. We just embraced those and we were just going crazy. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was a okay. uh, different culture. And the other thing I forgot that was really shocking being in, in that zone was that it took forever for the introduction of the shows every night because they oh, yes. the shows and yes. in oh my God. six different languages. And yes. it was, it was crazy. Yeah, you're right. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it took forever for a show to start. Yes. Oh Lord, you're right. I forgot about that. I don't know how. I must have blanked it from my memory. <laughs> so after your year in Phuket, you go to back to Mexico, Sonora Bay, Chief of Mini Club. A yes. beautiful, beautiful resort, right? Yes, very lunar looking. And uh, it was the first time that they'd ever had a mini club. It was a pop-up mini club. And I don't know if they ever did it again, but it was interesting because there was nothing really organized. So I was sent there. I had to quickly get together an area to call the mini club. And, uh, and off, we were off and running. And it was, uh, it was really interesting. And it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful place to be. We had some jellyfish issues, though, in the uh, Sea of Cortez. Oh, yes. Um, did, you get, did you get to go diving? I didn't have time to go diving, but uh, I imagine it was wonderful. And of course, they have the famous Seal Island. Yes. That everyone talked about. And of course, the kids in the kids club loved when there were French kids and American kids, because of course, we I won't say what the word in French for seal is. But yes. <laughs> yeah, so you. it was, of course, it was hysterical when the, the French kids would talk about Seal Island, but in French and the American kids would kill themselves laughing and of course, go back to their parents and say, oh, you yeah. know, the French kids are saying bad words. Like, no, that's the word for seal. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of kids getting reported for saying bad words, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a funny experience. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you at Sonora? I think it was five months. It was a shorter season. And then you get sent to Watuco, 97, 98. Yes. Massive G club. Gino Andretta. What was he? What was he like as a chief? He was fantastic. He was full of energy and uh, he was everywhere. He was everywhere and everyone knew Gino and uh, it was, it was a huge club and, uh, and he did a great job. And the mini club was really challenging there because it was really far away from everything. And I think I've never done so many stairs in my life. Uh, uh, did you visit Watsuko? Uh, no, I know, but I know uh, from previous guests about the, the stairs. Yes. <laughs> It, it, one can't describe the the size of this club and uh, it was challenging it was a really challenging club I think for logistics and also for especially for the mini club and I remember that the hardest part was the village village and the, the airport duty because uh, the airport was quite far away and we had the Dallas flight that arrived at three o'clock in the morning and but there were massive amounts of GMs arriving. So we always had to send two or three geos to the airport. And then we had probably, I think all hands on deck at three o'clock in the morning for luggage duty and the luggage duty, they had to use golf carts because the village was so massive. And, but we had to actually walk all the guests to the rooms. 
Yeah. And is it one of those villages where you're, you have um, performance anxiety and trying to find a room like, because the numbering <laughs> system is skewed. Did you ever get this feeling when you were there? Never heard of that before. Yes, of course. Oh, yes. yes. And at, at, you know, three or four in the morning, you're not functioning well. You're looking for the number. You've already walked with the guests for kilometers and they're exhausted. And yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. It was a real challenge. No, I, I had it so bad that in one village in Turkey, in Kushadazi, or if it was one of those 4 a.m. arrivals, I actually in the day went to find the room. Like I knew where they were going to be. And I actually went to locate the room first. So I'd look like a pro when they arrived, you know, but uh, oh, that's oh, yeah. smart. it would give me the sweat. Some of these villages where you you couldn't find the room, you know, and then you're panicking and then you're pretending that this is part of the tour. Did we pass the pool already, Greg? No, 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 no. That's a different pool. Okay. <laughs> Take it till okay. you make it. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Any funny, interesting stories come out of Watuko? I was there for a big earthquake. Oh, really? Which was, was that, is that your first earthquake? I think that was my first and only earthquake. In fact, like you, and you felt it, right? Oh, we felt it. I was actually taking a shower when the first ones hit, and it it was frightening. It was really scary. Everyone evacuated onto the golf course. There's a little golf course kind of in between um, outside the restaurant and in between the buildings. So everyone basically went out on the golf course and it was, it was a really big one. Luckily we didn't suffer too much damage in the club, but the outside area of the club, they were, they were hit quite hard. And we had guests sleeping on the golf course that night because we had aftershocks and we didn't have electricity for quite a while. And so all the chiefs of service were sent into the kitchen to make sandwiches to distribute uh, to the guests because the kitchen wasn't functioning. It, it happened before dinner. So, so it was one of those terrible, wonderful experiences because everyone really came together and really showed the teamwork that is Club Med and the guests were fantastic and so thankful that we took such good care of them and we made it work basically because you had no choice You've got hungry guests. There's no electricity. What are you going to do? So it was it's a great uh, problem solving exercise. And it taught me the lesson. Number one, if you have an earthquake, stand in a doorway or get out on the golf course. <laughs> and number two, you can always find a solution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a perfectionist. And I, I like when things go as they're supposed to, but I kind of like when things don't. So you can see what you're made of, you know? Yeah. Can I come up with that solution? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So in 98, after Watuko, you go to Magic Hile, Haiti. Now, were, were you sent like a, as boutique, but were you sent there to close the club? No, I wasn't sent to close the club. I was kind of following a boyfriend. Okay, the time-honored right. Yes, okay. Yes, <laughs> what, what did he do? What, what did he do? He was working in a, a, within the Econom. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so how long were you actually in uh, Haiti? I think it was short with three, probably three months. Okay. And three or four it, months. It was the last season of, of that village, right? Yes. And it was, uh, it's a shame because it was a, a beautiful place and the Haitian people are fantastic. Um, but the club, of course, there were political issues happening at the time. And uh, yeah, it was a, a strange, it, we, I think we knew that the club was closing. So it was difficult. It was hard to know that you were in a club that was actually going to close down forever. And so it was a little bit sad, but it was it was really interesting. Very French clientele also. 
So that was interesting. That was that those were the times when the people would walk in, the, the ladies would walk into the boutique without their bathing suit tops on. And I would say, are you here to buy a t-shirt? Are <laughs> you something? Okay. Yeah. So that was that was the first kind of the culture shock by working in the boutique, which was right beside the pool. And like and also, of course, the the lunch at the annex restaurant was also acceptable to eat topless. So that was a little bit strange also, <laughs> even though I'd been in Club Med for quite some time and I was definitely more comfortable with the idea. Sitting and having lunch with people, not so much. <laughs> trying to concentrate on my sandwich here, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but we did have a great experience in Haiti. There was the uh there was a big Caribbean distillery company that rented out the club. And it was for the last week before the club officially closed. We didn't have a lot of work to do because they were in conferences most of the the day. So they actually wanted to give a gift to the Club Med team. So they actually sent us on excursion by helicopter to the, the forts in, uh, in Haiti. It's the famous fort. I can't remember the name of the fort, but we were sent in Russian helicopters and groups to go and visit uh, this fantastic fort in Haiti. And it was- Was uh, it the Citadel Henry? Uh, exactly, that's it, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah Ocar La, La Ferrière. Yeah, I know they have a couple there. Oh, that's, that's a, wow, that's a great excursion, no? Yes, and it was really one of the only times that I got out of the village and you got to, you know, got to see the island and it was so kind for the company to send us on excursion. So it was, uh, it was a great way to, to finish off the season, what the short season I had in Magic Island, and then we get to where you and I met, uh, which is your last season, my third time in Columbus. And no, I didn't do anything wrong, people. Uh, <laughs> Ninety-nine, two thousand. So uh, I think I'd met you at the front desk, and exactly. uh, Philippe Fournier is the chief of village. And like I said, we spent Y two K. So I'm curious, like because we had people flying out the very next day. I, I remember um, what did, what was it like on your end? Uh, was it chaos? What was happening? It was the the panic of what could happen. So I think in preparation for it, we were all on edge. No one knew. I think it was a worldwide thing, but especially we we were so isolated on Columbus Island. What's going to happen? You know, what you know with the computer system? Are the airplanes going to arrive? Are the guests going to be able to leave? Is everything going to shut down? We just had no idea what was going to happen. So, yeah, it was a, a panic situation. And I remember being at the reception at the, the toll of midnight and we were all waiting and, you know, everyone had trouble breathing and suddenly it was 12.01 and nothing happened. It was like the wah, wah, wah. That's okay, right. we're fine. Everybody's fine. Go back to the disco. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, right. But yeah. it was a big relief. But at the same time, there was the anticipation something major was happening in the world and nothing happened. That's right. <laughs> but I do oh. have a good story about Columbus working at the reception. I have two, two good stories. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> the one story, because, well, Columbus Island is located on the island of San Salvador. Okay, yeah, I know where you're going, but I love hearing this. Yes. So <laughs> working at the reception, we had an arrival and a gentleman arrived, uh, I believe, from New York, and he came up to the reception desk and he said, hi, my wife is coming in tomorrow. So I just wanted to, to let you know that she was coming in village village. And uh, OK, fantastic. So 
we took him to his room. Everything was great. So the next day, we waited basically the whole day for her to arrive. And he kept coming to the reception desk. Has my wife arrived? It's like, no, nope, she hasn't arrived yet. And then we got a phone call. So his wife had booked the ticket and she was in El Salvador, where the capital city is San Salvador. And in yep. fact, her travel agent had sent her to Central America instead of sending her to the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but this, ha- <laughs> this happens more than you think it does. Uh, every one of my seasons there, something like that happened. Um, yeah. So uh, it was. Just, she was crying on the phone. And this was a time where long distance charges existed and trying to coordinate getting her from El Salvador back to Miami and on a plane to arrive in San Salvador, Bahamas. It was uh, it was a feat. So she managed to arrive, I think, two or three days later. And uh, yeah, she was happy to be there, but it was a sad story because she had a very short vacation in fact. Hey, I remember my second time there, I was talking to a gym that happened to him, but he had been to Columbus when it opened. So he was doing a second trip and he remembers flying over what he thought was the Bahamas. And he, he was astounded by how many lights he thought, wow, the, the island really grew up a lot. Look at all these buildings. He still didn't realize he was flying in El Salvador. Okay. I'm sorry. What was, what was your second story? So the second story, I was working at the reception desk and, uh, Suddenly, this very good-looking couple walked in, very tall people, very well-dressed with two preteen kids, and they came in to to check in. And my French colleague, Sophie, suddenly dropped to the ground and was under the reception desk and was pulling up my my leg, going, do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? And so I was checking them in. I was like, yes, uh, yes, it's Mr. Lemitre. I'm like... She's going, but do you know who that is? I said, no. So I checked them in. I took them to the room. They were lovely French people. And I came back and it turns out that Thierry Dermitre is a really famous French actor who is in a movie called Les Bronzés yes. and it's based on Club Med. And so he was staying at the club with his wife and the kids. And they actually, there are three uh, Bronzé movies now. And he is probably one of the most well-known popular actors in France. And I had no idea at the time who he was. And here's my colleague on the floor crying from joy and, and seeing her favorite actor arrive in the club. And I had no idea who the man was. Yes, there's a, even a funnier story, but I'm hoping to get the ex, the geo on that was there. There was a sailing geo who had an encounter with him on the beach. And uh, I'll tell you when we stop recording, because I want okay. her to come on and tell the story. It's hilarious. Okay, okay great. Um, now, I'll ask you this, because I, I've been in Club Med. This was my thir- third time in Columbus, and I've been in Club Med a while. I just want to make sure I'm not making it up. Did you find that season was was special in a way with the amount of talent we had there, or am I imagining it? It was really special. It was uh, the group of people were amazing. Uh, there was a real bond between geos. It felt like a family and the season was magic. Philippe Bournier was, was just fantastic as chef de village also. And yeah, the shows were amazing. Everything was amazing. And were you, ever, were you ever at the um, reception early morning and people were wondering where Tarzan was for the power walk? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it happened a few times. Ooh, hey, Tarzan. Okay. Yeah. And then he'd show up barefoot to go walking on the road. Okay. <laughs> he was amazing. And I think it's thanks to characters like Tarzan that, that really made it such yes. a special, special place. And a, yeah, it was amazing. And he's amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, I love Tarzan. I had when I had my interview with him. He, I asked him if he had any pets. He said no. I got good, so we won't make any noise. But he failed. He says, "Well, you forgot to ask me if I had a rooster." So oh. during the whole interview, you could hear a rooster crowing in his backyard. But that's on me. That's not on Tarzan. <laughs> okay. I should have asked him if he had a rooster. Okay. <laughs> now, I would like to segue just a little bit away from Clombet and come back because you kind of had um, when you when you left. Columbus Isle in your last season, you wound up, but maybe you can explain how you got to Tahiti and then I guess how you got to France. Sure. So I left Club Med because, well, I met a boy and uh, he lived in Montreal. So we moved to Montreal together and it was winter time. And oh uh, yeah. And uh, I started working for the Canada Trust in the train station in Montreal which was a shock also to suddenly go from village life to having a nine to five job and working in a big city. And uh, so it was a shock. And I spent about six months, I think, in Montreal working for the bank. And then I decided I wanted, well, it didn't work out with the, the boyfriend. So I went back to London, Ontario and started working for a hotel and events planning. And uh, it was great, but again, worst winter ever. So I was looking, I think it was the beginning of Facebook, and I saw a post from an XGO that said, hey, guys, who would like to work on a cruise ship in Tahiti? Uh, Wait a second. Yes, that's me. I'm sick of winter again. So, yes, send me to Tahiti. So I sent my application in, and I got the phone call. When can you leave? And I said, in one month. So a month later, I was on the MS Paul Gauguin in Tahiti working in the boutique. And what was unique about this ship and its relation to Club Med? So it's the uh, the same ship as the Club Med 2. It's a sister ship, but it doesn't have sails. So it's a it's a motor, it's a motor ship. So it, but a beautiful, beautiful ship with the same, uh, the same. Well, I don't think the decorations the same. I've never seen the Club Med 2, but the the ship is is the same configuration, and also the two ships shared the officers. So it was really interesting because we had officers from the Club Med too who would then be sent to the Paul Gauguin and then vice versa. So everyone knew each other. And so there were a lot of links with Club Med still on the, the ship on the Paul Gauguin. Okay. And you've said that Club Med kind of set you on a path to meeting your future husband. How so? It did because the, so I spent almost two years on the MS Paul Gauguin and we were sent to Australia for dry dock. And when the ship goes in dry dock, they lift it completely out of the water. And so we were set to be in dry dock for three weeks. So I was on vacation in Australia and they sent French tradesmen to to do the work on the ship and specifically on the carpets. So there was a tradesman from Bordeaux named Pascal who was sent to change the carpeting. And when I came back from my tour in Australia, he was still on the ship and uh, we had what they say in French, and coupe de foudre. So, you know, that little chemical reaction where you see someone and you know that's your person and we spent 12 days together from the time leaving Brisbane to arriving back in Tahiti and we had no passengers on the ship so we had time to he was working and I was still working also counting t-shirts in the boutique etc but we had time after work to start getting to know each other and I knew he was my person and he left the ship uh, 12 days later in Tahiti and we both were crying and and I said to one of 
the guys on the ship, that's my future husband. And I said, yeah, in your dreams, you're just, you know, you're romantic. And like, no, that is my, that's my future husband. And so three months later, when I had holidays, I packed up my suitcase from the Paul Gauguin and I took a flight to France, to Bordeaux, France, and uh, to visit the man I'd met on the ship. And I still live in France today. <laughs> So we completely skipped the dating. We didn't, we just directly went to living together and it just seemed natural that I just stay in France and we got married and, and yeah. And so now I live in Bordeaux, France. This is just a curiosity question. How is your name pronounced in France? Your first name? Oh, did they, did they pronounce the H? <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. In fact, okay. it scares people when they, when they see the name Heather, because first there's an H at the beginning and then the TH like, oh my yeah. God. So it's okay. Iser, Eter, Ieter, Iser. Yeah, it's okay. terrible. Okay. So Sorry. if I could go back and whisper in my mom's ear, please choose a different name. Yeah. But, uh, but so now they just call me La Canadienne. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, now your story takes a turn back to Club Ed because you wanted to have your honeymoon in your favorite Club Ed, which is, was? Was Columbus, of course. Yes. Okay. So what happened there? So uh, we booked the, the honeymoon and uh, Columbus was hit by a major hurricane and was closed for the time that was our honeymoon. So the Club Med office in Bordeaux offered us three different Club Meds to go for a honeymoon. And uh, I'm just, it was Turks and Caicos, Cancun or Martinique, which at the time were all singles clubs. So I was devastated. So I got back in touch with the Club Med travel agency and I said, look, if it was just a normal holiday, no problem. I like those clubs. I visited uh, all of them except for Martinique. They're fabulous, but it's my honeymoon. So she said, well, write down on the piece of paper your top three destinations that you'd like to go for your honeymoon and we'll see what we can do. So I believe I put New Caledonia as choice number one. Uh, choice number two, I think, was... Maldives, perhaps Maldives or, or Mauritius. And number three was Phuket, just in case. So she finally came back to me and she said, okay, they said yes to Phuket. So I was really happy because I also loved Phuket. So that was amazing. And uh, we were sent to Phuket for a wonderful honeymoon and we were treated like VIPs. They must have sent something ahead of time because when we arrived, we were treated to champagne at the check-in. Uh, we were given a suite, so our room was probably three of the old GO rooms or GM rooms put together into one room. I think our bathroom was the size of the GO quarters that I lived in for the year that I was there. <laughs> and we had a beautiful balcony overlooking the gardens and, and the water, and it was amazing. Sorry, did you have a towel swan on your bed when you got in? Of course, we had a towel swan on our bed. Nice. Of course we did. And they kept... They kept bringing us more fruit every day. It was really, we were VIPs and it was amazing. There were some of the, the local staff who were still working there. And so they remembered me and it was really fantastic to, to come back and see them and, and introduce my husband to Club Med because he had no idea what the whole Club Med thing was about. <laughs> okay. That's, and that's odd being a Frenchman, right? And was started by, by a friend, you know, uh, Gerard Bitz. I mean, no, it was a, it's, predominantly seen it was back then as a French thing. So that's, and he had never gone, right? He'd never been to Club Med. Of course he'd heard okay. of it, but he had never had the experience and I'd talked about it all the time. So for him to actually see it and experience it was, it was a fantastic thing for me. 
And in between contracts with ClubMed, some, somehow, somewhere you found time to get a diploma to teach English as a foreign language, correct? Correct. Yes, it was the just-in-case. Yeah. But yeah. This, helped, this helped you later when you moved to France, right? It absolutely did. Because, well, moving to France, I thought with all my experience in hospitality, in ClubMed, and then on the cruise ship, I thought, no problem, I can get a job working with a hotel in Bordeaux. And uh, then I soon discovered that at the time, and we're talking about 2000, in the 2000s, um, in France, you had to have a diploma for everything. So if you're going to, for example, make pens, you have to have a pen making diploma. It was that specific. So because I didn't have a hotel diploma, it was very difficult to get jobs in the tourism industry. And I finally managed to get a job at the Holiday Inn, which was being built close to the Bordeaux airport. And I was given the job as a receptionist and uh, the reception manager was a young woman who was 19 years old, who had just graduated from hotel school, who had no experience and only spoke French. And it was a little frustrating for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I lasted maybe two months working at the Holiday Inn because, I, yeah, I, I had seen too much and done too much to, uh, to work at the Holiday Inn as a receptionist. So that's when I started my career as an English teacher. So because I had done this diploma in, in Canada, I was able to apply to a lovely uh, small company close to Bordeaux. And I started teaching English as a second language to French people in business English. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Kind of a full circle. <laughs> yeah, kind of full circle. And uh it's it's a lot of fun and people actually are, are really amazed when I speak French, for example, because I don't speak like Celine Dion. So because I'm Canadian, they still have this idea that that all Canadians speak French, number one. And uh, number two, when I speak English for the people who have a good level, they're like, you sound really American. <laughs> and I says, Is that a compliment? Yeah, thanks. My American is fantastic. <laughs> Actually, I thought you were American when I met you in Columbus. Uh, really? I guess, well, I guess it's because the whole blonde hair, blue eyed thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, I. Uh, that's probably what I thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, do you yeah. ever have time to, like now, you know, you're living in Bordeaux. Do you do you find, there's, is there anything you miss about Club Med? Is there one thing, two things? I think I miss the, uh, maybe the the international feeling. I really enjoyed working with people from all different cultures, all different backgrounds with different languages. And in Bordeaux, we don't really have a lot of that. So, and I think that's also, I miss Canada also for that. So it's a fantastic experience, but in France, and I love living in France, but I, I miss kind of the cosmopolitan feeling and I miss dancing. <laughs> right? Isn't it Yeah. Weird? I, I miss doing hate, the shows. I, I used to hate rehearsals and all that, but now I miss I miss dancing. But you know what I found? I when, the one time I tried it, I couldn't freestyle. I, I needed that eight count. You know, I needed someone <laughs> to tell me. I, I totally lost how to freestyle. Not that I was great at it before, but I oh, uh, that's yeah. So so, sad. so, I, so I don't do it anymore. You're right. No, it's true. So do you ever like you ever hear a song? Like you're in the grocery store and it's a song from Club Med, but then you have to physically restrain yourself from moving side to side and clapping. Has this ever happened to you? Or in the car? Oh. I, well, in the supermarket, I'll just I'll just dance. It doesn't matter. Okay. And it's it's the song "Free from Desire." Oh God, Gala. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime I hear Gala, which does happen sometimes, I'll just stop what I'm doing and I'll have the little boogie in the in the aisle, and people look at me like I'm crazy, but that's fine. Well, that's what you do when you're in frozen foods, right? Come on. Exactly. <laughs> 
Now, did we leave anyone out? I know we mentioned a lot of people, but I don't want to leave anyone out uh, before we go like that you enjoyed working with. I know, I know you. Oh, there's, there's lots of them. Uh, a shout out to Angie Boucher. Oh uh, yeah, Sushi Boucher. Yeah, who's amazing. Bouger Vaujambon. Uh, she was fantastic. Also, Jamie Nielsen, who's a great friend from London, Ontario, who uh, I'm still in touch with. Uh, there's so many people. Gino Tapia, uh, excellent tennis geo, and his brother Rodrigo, who's in Australia now. So many people. Just, yeah, the whole Club Med family. Uh, it's so nice to have uh, the ex-geo group and also thanks to you for for doing what you do and it's amazing to hear the stories and to see how people are doing today and it's really inspirational and and thank you for taking your free time to to make sure that we all stay connected and we're all inspired my pleasure uh do you got time for one more question sure i was just curious looking at all your your seasons here was there one that um, you would call magical or do you not use that word or you just like them all for different reasons Ah, I would say Columbus for me was magical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was something, there was the alchemy of all the lines, uh, all the stars aligning. And then suddenly it's, it's the magic season. It's really difficult. You can't really pinpoint the how or the why, but it was the combination of the people and the place and the moment, I think. Are you glad you did it? Like, are you like, would you have changed anything? Are you glad you, you worked for Clement? I'm so happy I worked for Club Med because it really uh, gave me a sense of work ethic of uh, being able to to sell to sell ice to Eskimos, really, because we had to convince those GMs, come on, you want to do the group of eight games. Come on, you want to do this. It was, <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was sales. We had to sell stuff to uh, to people and we were selling dreams as well. So that was an amazing way to learn how to adapt to any situation, to learn to live with with difficulty, with being uh, put on the spot, with finding solutions to problems, to it was amazing and really opening your minds to different cultures, different ways of thinking. No, it's uh, I wouldn't change a thing. It was absolutely amazing. And if I could go back today and do it again, I might do it for a week. <laughs> That's right. Where's <laughs> my ticket? <laughs> yes. Oh, the pure later just passed by. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Now, am I, before I let you go, am I forgetting to ask anything? Because I know I kind of rushed through some places, so um, I don't want to let you go unless we covered it. Uh, I know we covered a lot, but did I? Did we get everything? I think we got everything. Yeah, I think oh, it's great. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us, Heather. Well, thank you. It's very, very kind of you. And I said Heather, not Adele. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Guys, you guys just try try to pronounce it comme il faut. Okay. <laughs> okay. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> uh, yeah. Big, big thanks to, to Heather. So nice talking to you again after all these years. And uh, we'll see you all next week for another installment of my first season. That's where you say bye to everyone, Heather. Bye, everyone. <laughs>